News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to the Luke Messias Show. Today, we are going to have a conversation um, that I would say summarizes several different things that I've been talking about over the last several months, maybe even over uh, the last year, which is the reality that Arizona is in a position to save Texas. And I have asked Tyler Boyer to come on, who is the Republican National Committee man there in Arizona, somebody heavily involved in Arizona politics, to have this conversation. But I want to give every single one of y'all just a little bit of context. So at the end of the day, over the last year, we've had a lot of different conservative activists in Texas calling on our Republican governor to declare an invasion at the border. And this would be action that most, let's say, traditionally orthodox historical views of, the, of Republicans, of our Republican leaders, uh, it would be actions that they're not comfortable taking because it is often using your position to actually advance your mission. And we've all witnessed things that have happened in the Republican Party over the last several years where our leaders are often not willing to take those necessary steps to preserve the rights and liberties of the citizens that they were elected to protect. And so Carrie Lake is one of those examples nationwide in Arizona. Some people are calling her kind of the Ron DeSantis of the West. And she ran a campaign, was outspent massively. And I want to explain to y'all, just give you a little bit of context, the amount of money that her opponent spent against her in the Republican primary. If you were to equate that to Texas campaign dollars, because that's what people often miss, but if you were to equate that to Texas campaign dollars, her opponent would have spent 60 to $80 million against her. Okay, And we've never seen someone do that in a Republican primary. The most we've ever seen someone spend is, let's say, $25, $30 million. And so, uh, it was a massive amount of money, but her message resonated so much that she won every single county in Arizona in the Republican primary and is now in a competitive general election. Here is the reason we're talking about her today, though. She is the only other, unless New Mexico also goes red, Carrie Lake will be the only other red state border governor compared to Greg Abbott. And she has said that right after she swears into office, she will be declaring an invasion at the southern border. And what this will do is it will set up conflict between her and the Biden administration. And she is going to say that states have the ability to repel illegals from entering their state, something that Texas could be doing now. And so Matt Rinaldi, our chairman of the GOP here in Texas, who also serves on the RNC, um, serves on the RNC with Tyler, penned a op-ed in Newsweek and, and basically said, look, Arizona is going to declare an invasion in January. Texas should now, using this as yet another opportunity to say Texas is in an opportunity to lead before we're forced to follow. And so I asked Tyler to come on to uh, just give us a little bit of background on what's going on there in Arizona and um, and really have this share this conversation with me. Uh, Tyler, thank you for joining. What I'd like you to do is first start by just telling our listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today, because so many people you and I have talked about this briefly, but they have this idea that there's this barrier to entry for people to engage in the political process. And I think one of the blessings, especially of the party level and the state level politics, is that it does not take a lot for you to start having an outsized influence. And so can you just tell our listeners a little bit about 
kind of what got you to where you are today in the political process. Yeah, no, hey, thank you, Luke. I appreciate being here. Uh, Texas is, I always tell people all the time, at some point, we're going to end up with Texazona and we're just going <laughs> to just run right over New Mexico. Like, and that's, there you go. We're just going to have Texazona. That's, that's going to be the future of the country, hopefully. But uh, I've, no, I've I, tried to, uh, uh, I've tried to convince some of our people to show, to sell El Paso to New Mexico, which would doom New Mexico to like permanent blue, but it would also like cement us as a deeper red than we've ever imagined. So we're, I don't know how that plays. We need to coordinate our messaging to figure out if that is a good idea for the Texas zona or whether we need to play it differently. Go ahead, Tyler. Well, I mean, I guess we could just work through El Paso because that's the connection we, but we can just run go. over the little small part of New Mexico. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. My uh, my background is this. I uh, actually kind of got started into Republican politics uh, accidentally. Uh, I actually lived in Russia uh, for a missions trip and came back from it just going, wow, like we cannot have a country that looks anything like Russia and how terrible uh, what what the the disastrous effects of Marxism does to a, a population, not not even from a governmental standpoint, but for what it does to like the human psyche. And um, I came back, you know, in, in college, just knowing that I needed to get involved. And I really had no connections. You know, I was raised conservative. Uh, I come from a very conservative background, like I know a lot of Texans do. Um, you know, raised you know from a good, great religious, and go to church every Sunday and. And, you know, in a very conservative community, but, you know, I noticed that just like not a lot of people, including my parents were super involved politically, you know, and my parents are old Gen Xers. Uh, I'm a millennial, I'm an old millennial. And, you know, I, uh, I just wanted to get involved more. And so I showed up to college Republicans at Arizona State University, which is the largest ground campus in America, uh, has about at the time, I think we had about 80,000 um, people that went there and I showed up and there was only 10 people that were there. And I was like, holy, we have to, we have to turn the ship around. So they made me the president like the next week. And, <laughs> and it, it was like very quickly that, that things kind of spiraled, but I felt it, it incumbent upon me for me to get it more involved and to be a leader, you know, because it was, I was kind of a person that was amongst a bunch of people that didn't really, you know, know exactly what they needed to do. And so uh, we turned that into uh, like one of the largest, most effective chapters of college Republicans. And I realized that it wasn't super activist oriented in, in college Republicans. And I started getting involved as a precinct committeeman um, and getting involved with my central committee where I was at. And I had a lot of great mentors, some some fairly old people, you know, that were probably in their 70s and 80s, like a lot of our our central committee members and, and precinct captains that um are in the party but they they took me in and they trusted me as as a young tea party you know young guy I was like the only young guy showing up to tea party stuff and uh and yeah and then not too long after that because of what we were doing at asu uh you know the governor appointed me to serve on the board of regents and arizona isn't like texas we only have one board of regents for all of our public universities and so uh it's a multi-billion dollar uh, infrastructure. There's only 10 members of the board, including the student region. And that's what I was. And, and I served there for two years. And I found out quickly, I was the most conservative member of the board of regents, which wasn't very difficult. And so when it came time to, you know, give tuition dollars to illegals and, and to expand, you know, kind of the, the education state in Arizona, I was always a no vote and 
kind of harnessed my very young, you know, position. And so it wasn't long after that, people were like, Hey, you should get more involved with the party and, and run for, and run for central committee for our city. And I did, and we, we took over, we won everything that year. And then um, they're like, wow, you're, you're pretty good at this. It's not too often. We have a conservative that actually knows what they're doing. And so you should run for, for county chair. And so I became uh, county chair kind of incidentally running against the McCain machine in Arizona for Maricopa County, which is the largest at the time was the largest Republican held county in the country. And uh, so we had 4,000 precinct committeemen that was responsible, responsible for representing. And uh, we hosted Trump for the first Trump rally ever. And I was the first speaker at the first Trump rally because nobody else really wanted to do it. And, uh, and we did it. And it, and after that, it was like, there was never a small Trump rally. So, uh, so that's, uh, that was kind of the short history, but a lot of that I owe credit to becoming a precinct committeeman, becoming more involved at the grassroots level. Um, I'm a grassroots guy. You know, I think first and foremost, we should always be putting the grassroots before everything else. And I always kind of tell people there's two different types of, there's two different types of Republicans. One is those that are all about me, 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 me. And there's the, those are the, the movement people, the ones that are trying to hear, here to save America. And so I always want to make sure I'm on the side of the people who are wanting to save America and also being a good example of that ourselves. And if we're doing that, if we're saving America, we're saving Texas first, we're saving Arizona first. Um, you know, we're going to be in a good place for the party, but if we're not doing that, the Republican party is going to totally get obliterated as we saw during you know, many of the Bush years. So. I want to ask a question. <clears throat> uh, a couple couple of things have stood out to me in in the course of your story. One is I want to understand your terminology and our ter- terminology. So in Texas, we have precinct chairman, right? And those are people. I'm a precinct chair, and so you have precinct chairman over your existing precinct, and then those people serve on the entire executive committee underneath a party chair who for us is elected on a primary ballot countywide. So in the Republican primary, people cast their uh, votes. Is that the same way it is in Arizona? And are there any, I heard you say like central committee. I wasn't sure if that was a different position. So tell us how the party politics works there in Arizona. Yeah, it's very different from Texas. So Texas, like you you mentioned, and I don't have to dictate your process to you, but your process is a little bit more detached from the people than Arizona. Arizona actually, I think has a little bit of a better system. Um, it's not perfect by any means, but Arizona, we actually have precinct committee men numerous precinct committee men by precinct. And so it's actually one for every 125 Republican voters that we have a precinct committee men for. And then the body of the precinct committee men for each county uh, are those that elect the county chair and then the state, the state committee delegates. So the individuals that go to the state committee and then the state committee is the one that elects the, the state chair. Party chair. And yep, so, yep. and so there's, there's one for every, three people that we have as a precinct committeeman. So basically a third of the precinct committeeman make up the body of the state committee yep. and then those individuals. So it's, it's, it's very representative. Um, in yep. Arizona, we have the capacity for, I think somewhere in the ballpark of about 15 to 20,000 precinct committeemen. Mm-hmm. So if we actually had every precinct committeeman spot filled, that's how many we would have. Yep. So very representative. And then um, the state committee would be one third of that, which would be, it could be upwards of 5,000 precinct committeemen or state committeemen. Yeah. And so right now we are about 50% to capacity across the state as most states are. Um, we're a little bit above the average. We have more precinct activity, I think, than most states uh, because of our capacity for it. But we are about uh, right now 
about half that. So every time that the county meets in Maricopa County, for example, we usually have, like I said, three to 5,000 people just in the county precinct level alone. That's awesome. Like, yeah. So Harris so here's County an interesting... is about the same size. That would be, yep. and I know there's nowhere near that many people on the, no, on the, uh, <laughs> no. I show up to those meetings. We have yep. like, like 10 times the amount that you see, like at the Harris County convention every year, which is, yeah. Yeah. yeah the Harris County, the, 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 the every other year convention probably has a couple thousand people in Harris County, but like their monthly CEC meetings or even their, the quarterly ones, the ones that, I mean, you're talking, yeah, three, 400 people. Um, interesting tidbit. And I think this kind of uh, some of our more loyal listeners will already know this story, but so our SREC, I don't know if y'all, so we have senatorial representatives and those people are elected at the convention and those people are then the board of the party. And what's interesting is last Last legislative session, uh, Cody Vasut, who's a member of the Freedom Caucus, actually, he uh, worked very closely with the governor's office and a bunch of people uh, to try to mandate that our state chair, our vice chair, and our SREC members were elected on the ballot uh, because where the establishment gets a lot more power, as you just mentioned, is in these county chairs. So we'll have a lot of precinct chairs. We have this in Montgomery County right now where the precinct chairs are all elected at that local level. They're very representative of their people. And then the county chairman of Montgomery County, one of the largest red counties in Texas, was basically funded by the county commissioners, a bunch of other elected officials who wanted to get their guy in there, right? So they now have their guy because they could fund a ton of marketing to all these low info voters and get their guy elected. And so then the party, even though it's 75, 80% hard conservative fighters are neutered by this chair that was elected. And so the, uh, unfortunately, a lot of our party elected officials who don't like the grassroots as much said, Hey, let's co-opt this guy in the freedom caucus who will push our issue. And then we're going to try to, you know, in the name of getting more voters involved, make the state chair and the vice chair and the SRC members all get elected on the ballot so that we can then fund, you know, kind of people that will just do rah, rah for us. And so that gets me into a question that I want to pose to you because you're somebody who has been involved in the party for a long time. I think that you and others that are more active in the party have shown how much party leadership can start to pull elected officials and just the party as a whole to the right. So can you comment a little bit on your thought process and perspective as somebody from precinct level to RNC committee man level serving? What are some things that party individuals, whether you're on a precinct chair or at, at a national level, state level, we can be doing to steer the entire ship to the right? And are there examples that you can give where you see that then have a downward stream effect on the elected officials and how they start moving? Yeah, I mean, look, it's this is the the crux of the future of the country. And I could give, we could talk for hours about examples of what you just brought up, which is the establishment always wants to control party leadership. Well, well, why is that? Well, why do they want to control party leadership? Well, first and foremost, which is more, which is less, um, you know, you, can, you can't really put your hands on it. It's just the, the direction of the party, right? It's always helpful. And this is kind of Alinsky type tactics, right? Which is that if you have the microphone, like you control the masses, right? Like this is kind of what um, you know Teddy Roosevelt understood was was that if yeah you you, you are have the bully pulpit essentially, right? And that's what happens whenever you you control leadership. And so whether it's Virginia, whether it's Arizona, whether it's Texas, you know places that you've seen where you have this like really strong you know, orthodox establishment core, you know, from, 
you know, all these eras and we could, and we could talk about like situations like Eric Cantor getting knocked out and John McCain, you know, you know, finally being dismissed here in Arizona, but you know, they understood that if you can control the party, you can control the narrative in, in general. The more important part is that these physical constructs that are there with the party, which is that when you control the party, you know, for example, fundraising for your candidate for governor becomes so much easier because like in Arizona, you have limitless opportunities then to raise money through and, and where you're limited on campaign finance for a gubernatorial candidate, you're not limited through the, the party, right? And so if you control the party apparatus, that means you basically have like a blank check for your, your the candidates that you like, right? And this is what the conservatives never really take control of, right? And this is where we are in Arizona a little bit more now at this point, which is, you know, we're going to utilize the party apparatus for our own benefit with conservatives that actually get on the team. And, you know, I think Texas is realizing this a lot and not not just at the county level, the state level now, which is like, hey, you know, we we can do that. We can kind of use this to our advantage as well. And this really scares the establishment because they, um, you know, again, if they don't control those county chair positions, then they can't control, you know, functions like here in Arizona of who becomes precinct committeeman. If they don't control the state party, then they can't control mail and limitless donations coming in and, you know, paying all their friends, you know, to, to make sure that they control politics in different parts of the state. And, you know, my big thing is, is this is like, I tell people all the time, you have to understand that you're working against not just the chamber of, of commerce, you're working against the chamber of consultants. This is a, this is a consulting class. There's born and bred through the two thousands during the Bush era was this, this entire, you know, mooch off of the conservative movement consulting class problem that we have across the, the country. And if we don't nip that in the bud very quickly, um, then they will they will continue to come back and back and back. And I would even argue that this was one of the, the biggest problems that the Trump administration had was not nipping this as well as it should have. And so, uh, you know, I think you do that in states like Texas and Arizona, you're in a better position to be actually compete with these people and, and to and to and to work against them because they, they, they that's how they control the politics of your local area without you even realizing it. Um, you mentioned the Board of Regents, and I'm going to get we're kind of getting pulled into various different things, but I'm going to circle back on the border issue specifically to close us out. But you mentioned the Board of Regents. I wanted to ask you about that in Arizona, too, because this gets also to the administrative state that you've mentioned. Are all of your regents appointed by the governor? How does it work in here? OK, so in Texas, uh, which and I just wanted to get your perspective as somebody who served as a regent before in Texas, we have the, a similar situation where every single one of our board of regents are specifically appointed by our Republican governor. They're confirmed by a Republican controlled Senate. And it's been really interesting over the last 10 years because more and more conservatives have been saying, hey, um, if we're hosting like drag performances in the, you know, say, or we're opening some new LGBTQ center or we're doing these other things like these things are ultimately overseen by a board appointed by a complete Republican majority. And so we blame, you know, the crazies on the university for basically taking people and moving them to the left in our society. But you take a step back and you realize Republicans have literally overseen this entire situation. We have a reality with our polling numbers that 
And everyone gets mad. They're like, all these Californians are moving into Texas. And I'm like, dude, those people are saving us because the reality is that 60, 65% of those people are right of center. They come in to save our state. And we're basically offsetting them with a machine that we are using to create little Marxists. And so from pre-K to, because we expanded K to pre-K in Texas, and then through college, like we have this entire system that is indoctrinating these kids. And then they're coming out pretty far left, and we're hoping that at some point they go right while we're importing these people in. So as a regent, what are... What do you, like is that another example of where you see the Republicans not using the power they have, and then are there other examples of things you did at, as a regent that you think kind of show um, the uphill battle we sometimes fight? Oh gosh, we could talk for hours about this. One of the things that I did when I came in on the Board of Regents, and I told the governor at the time when she was appointing me. So how I got appointed was that by accident. Was that by the way, which governor was it? There was it was under Governor Brewer. Okay, got it. Okay. And I'll tell you exactly what happened here just real quick. Yeah. So Governor Brewer got three applications. How it works on our state constitution or in the constitution is that they accept three applications and she picks from one of those. But she statutorily doesn't have to do that. They only submitted three Democrats. And so she picked me because I was the college Republicans chair and I was kind of well known and I was super conservative and a and a shirt like wasn't going to get her in trouble with the Republicans. And so she picked me and I went in and I was like, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? I'm pretty conservative. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> and she, and she said, and she said, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. And I said, well, the first thing I want to do is I want to defund the largest union essentially that we have in Arizona, which was the students union and how this was funded. was very much it's similar to an organization that's called PERG and you might be familiar with them. PERG public interest research group. Okay. Um, ours was called the Arizona students association. And what they did was on tuition bills, they would take like $5 from every student. Well, you do that across the state. You're, you're making million, you're funding a 501c4 that only supports Democrats um, just automatically through the system. So I was like, you know what, we're going to get rid of that. She's like, that's great. That sounds awesome. Go ahead and do that. So I got on the board uh, after getting blocked by every Democrat, um, but luckily we had a super majority at the time. I got appointed. That was the first thing we did and we, and we took it out, but, um, and they hated me for it, obviously, but it wasn't long after that, that Governor Brewer was trying to pass Medicaid expansion. And I was the only vote on the Board of Regents that voted against the resolution to support it. And it, it was very embarrassing you know, for her and she was not happy with me because of it, but I mean, look, you have this, this circumstance to the Board of Regents that it is entirely appointed by the, the governor and, and the vast majority of the states, right? Mm-hmm. And it's in a place like Texas, you have multiple boards that are entirely, yep. and usually the people that get appointed to these things are like donors or friends yep. of donors and you know, donors relationships. And it's like kind of like a pat on the back back for that. But that's not what we should be doing. And I've argued this for a long time that the RGA should be in the middle of this business on a day-to-day basis, which is that we should be, there's only, there's two, the most, two most important appointments that a governor can make. One is to the judiciary and two is to the board of regents. Mm -hmm. Because like you mentioned, essentially the governors have overseen in in a vast majority. and, And for most of the years, most of our states have been run by Republican governors. And here in Arizona, for example, Governor Ducey, who has a lot of tendencies, probably worse than even Governor Abbott, um, appointed Democrats has appointed Democrats to our board of regents. Mm-hmm. It's like, homie, what are we doing here? This is exactly what is 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 supporting that big educational state within the you know one of the largest employers. You know they they 
typically wield their power and influence against Republicans in almost every area. And then they do things that are almost you know, completely antithetical to the Republican Party platform. And it's a very simple fix, which is that most of these governors, you get a good governor in, they can make sure that only good people get appointed to the Board of Regents. And boom, you have a different university system overnight. And that's ultimately, and for those of you that don't know, or our listeners that don't know, the Board of Regents, you know, is are the ones that hire and fire the university presidents. Um, they put their stamp of approval on all the programs, all the athletics, um, you know, making decisions on what curriculum looks like, uh, giving direction on what curriculum looks like, giving direction on how big the university is actually getting. And in a place like Arizona, you know, they've expansively grown yeah, that educational state. And that is not the future what the Republicans should be looking at. And we should be demanding that Republican governors are have a lot better control over that, that process. And uh, one of my last questions to you is let's get to the border and let's kind of get to the topic that I started this on because we're in a unique situation where uh, Texans are literally praying for a Cary Lake governor. And, and we were doing this before she won the Republican nomination, to be clear. And um, and we're excited that she's going to be doing that. In fact, I'm talking to people up in Texas about raising her money and getting her support. And and I was talking to a, a gentleman who said, you know, I'm thinking about trying to get a busload of people to drive to Pennsylvania to block walk for the United States Senate. And I said, look, I'm just going to tell you, if you're taking anybody outside of the state of Texas, you need to drive that truckload of volunteers for a week to Arizona to work for Cary Lake because – her executive leadership will directly affect Texas because I believe when she jumps into that fight, there will be no way for Greg Abbott to not jump in after her. What is your perspective on um, on her, on her leadership in Arizona, the excitement you're seeing around the campaign? You're the one on the ground there. Kind of tell us about the fight between now and November for our listeners to be aware of. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing it up. So, you know, Cary Lake is a, is a, it really a godsend for our state because we've been fighting this battle that we kind of talked about for years and years and years with the McCain machine here in Arizona. And it was an absolute disaster for years because as you, as you remember the gang of eight bill that had Jeff Flake, John McCain, I think Marco Rubio was on it and, and, and other Democrats, you know, really was disastrous because John McCain, once upon a time, and this was almost, I guess, about 10 years ago, campaigned on building the dang fence and doing all this stuff, right? And like, they never meant it. In fact, they hated all the grassroots conservatives. And meanwhile, you know, almost 10 years ago, Arizona was passing SB 1070, which was essentially a law that was intended to fill the gaps of what the federal government wasn't doing during the Obama era, which was, you know, making sure that People actually were legally here and, you know, border enforcement was happening and that the police could actually do their jobs and make sure that people, you know, these criminals that were coming over our border, uh, you know, could be could be jailed and sent back. And so, I mean, look, the vast majority of Arizonans don't want illegal drugs coming over the border. They don't want uh, drug mules, you know, being emboldened. Uh, over the border and in our big cities that we have, which we have more big cities per counties per capita than any other state in Arizona, or, or in, in the country uh, in, in Arizona. And so, 
We have a ton of big cities where there's a lot of places for bad guys to hide and to conduct their business. And if we let this thing go, we will turn into a place far worse than California, far worse, you know, than, than right over the border in El Paso and, and Tucson and Yuma. We're going to be in a place where it's very dangerous to live. And so people understand this. They've seen some of the consequences of this already. Uh, they take this very seriously. And, you know, Kerry's policy, which is a common sense one, which is, hey, look, if the federal government's not going to do the job, we're going to do it. We're going to finish the wall. We're going to enforce uh, border. Uh, we're going to enforce the law and border protection. That's that's something that's just as basic common sense. And this is why you're seeing the left kind of come lean more in that direction now, because they're they're getting very nervous because they see the polling, too. Anytime that you see them do anything that uh, that's because they're, they're taking polls from from Virginia and they're realizing that they're in, they're in bad shape. And so, yeah, I mean, we're excited about it. I think Carrie Lake is going to be the most proactive pro, um, you know, you know, making sure that we, uh, the most anti-illegal alien, illegal immigration governor that we've ever seen. And uh, I think that's why she's going to get elected. Uh, last question. I'll give you just a minute uh, to close close this out, Tyler. Tell us about, I know you're involved in Turning Point um, and that's been something that you've done. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of an idea of some of the things y'all are doing and how they can engage with that? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, and this is really good, especially for the activist space to understand, because there's a lot of, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a young guy, you're a young guy, they're, you know, when I got involved a little over 10 years ago, I was a very young guy, um, and I became county chair of my county, that was the largest county in the state, when I was like 25, um, and it, it, it took a lot for people to trust me, and it takes a lot for a lot of our our older activists to trust younger people. And I don't blame them because there's a lot of younger people that have been totally hijacked by the establishment um, that have just done so many terrible things for the movement uh, because they, they, you know, they just get sucked right into Bush world. They get sucked right into McCain world. They get sucked right into all of that Liz Cheney world, right? And like, it's like, I don't wanna have anything to do with those people. And, and I understand when our, our precinct um, leaders don't want to have anything to do with those people either and are distrusting. But that's been what's been so beautiful about what we've tried to build, build at Turning Point. So I've been with Charlie for, you know, going on eight years now, since pretty close to the very beginning of him getting started. And I ran all the operations and built all the whole thing out from a grassroots perspective. And the idea is this, is that we wanted to create an alternative pathway for young people to get involved as activists, rather than just get sucked up and absorbed by yeah, the establishment wing that basically turns them into zombies very quickly. And so we're not successful 100% of the time, but we're successful 90 something percent of the time in keeping people from getting sucked up by that, that power. And what it's done is it's created a base, you know, and, and all the states, cause we're in all 50 states where now they have a pathway in order to go be good conservative activists. And they know they have a network of support to, to continue to believe what they believe, which are, you know, actual conservative principles. And uh, that's been very successful. And that's been our labor of love on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's where we need the help is, you know, anytime that you have the chance to mentor somebody, to give somebody, uh, uh, you know, the love that they deserve and need, because that's what we need is mentorship. We, we can't lose a generation because, you know, our, our Tea Party roots and our conservatives, our constitutional conservatives 
And this in this Trump era, we don't we we neglect to mentor. We have to mentor just one person. And so I tell people just pick one person, help them and get get them into leadership early so they can learn and see that, like, hey, the party needs us. The party needs good young constitutionalists that are going to be able to really guide the party into the future. And that's where uh, that's where we've been. That's where we've we've been our, our focus. And now at Turning Point Action, that's what I do on a day to day basis, which is our overt political side of Turning Point USA, where we spend all of our time helping good candidates and recruiting precinct uh, representatives across the country. Tyler, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for the work that you've done. I hope that our listeners have gained a perspective in one, the pathways to making, uh, having a bigger outsized influence. Also like a real reason, because I will say that in recruiting people to become precinct chairs across the state, which I've also done, um, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell them like, stay in this for the long haul. They show up to one or two meetings. They're like, I don't know if I still want to do this. So I hope that they've taken away from this. Like if you stick in this, there's these real long-term effects that we see, but you and I would both attest to the fact that if you're not involved at that basic level, then you're not in a position to make those really powerful decisions um, that can really steer this ship to the right. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing um, this. And I, I hope that Texans have also gained an understanding of just how important Arizona is to the future of our state. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the hard work that the grassroots is putting in Texas. Like I said, we, uh, we're we watching you guys. We're, we're leaning into you guys. And and we just know that Matt and others and, and you guys are just are, are, are working hard. So we're here for you. Thanks, Tyler. Guys, I hope you appreciated that conversation. Um, it's just a reminder to each and every one of you. I will just tell you, uh, you know, I moved into San Antonio two years ago and I probably consider myself to be a pretty darn active Republican, one of the more active Republicans in the state of Texas and my Republican precinct was empty and it was empty for the first year and a half to two years I was in San Antonio because that's how long it took me to just look up whether my Republican precinct, whether my precinct was open and go fill out a one page application to become a precinct chairman in Bear County. And I am admitting that failure to each and every one of you so that you know you should be doing the same thing. You should be getting involved at that very basic level. I know so many of our listeners are. So y'all are likely serving as club presidents in your Republican uh, club or your Republican Women's Club or your YCT chapter you're involved in, your other college um, deal. Maybe some of y'all are doing turning point stuff um, and involved at the campus level and that or you're involved at the party level. Here's the thing that you have to understand it is worth it to take the time to research and then get engaged on that level and start – you will start to see benefits from it. I recently attended a, a an election where the county commissioner had run for judge, our county commissioner in Bear County and had left this commissioner's spot open. And there were a bunch of people that then ran to fill this commissioner place and the person – the people who decided – who got put on the ballot and who was the standard bearer for the Republican Party of Texas as a Bear County commissioner were the Republican precinct chairman. And anybody who had just been faithfully serving there for a year or two or three or three months or 10 years was in a position to be one of a couple hundred people that decided who was the next county commissioner because this is a Republican precinct. And luckily, conservatives outweighed moderates in that election and they selected Grant Moody to be the Republican nominee for Bear County Commissioner. And had a lot of those people not been willing to faithfully serve as a precinct chairman, they wouldn't have been in a position to make that decision. And so this is just um, an encouragement to each and every one of you that the work that you're doing on a local level is really, really, really important. Please continue to do it. With all that being said, God bless you. 
Thank you for engaging in this conversation, sharing it with your friends. Understand that Arizona is really important to the future of our state and the future of the nation. And then you can uh, decide what to do with that information. God bless you. And God bless the great state of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messiah Show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.